Good evening. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Bruce Garrick. Tonight, we have a very special guest, James Crate, a longtime wargamer and a pilot, is going to talk to me all about air combat games. James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, James, tell me a little bit and tell the listeners um, a little bit about your uh, wargame experience, and we'll talk a little about, about flying, and then we'll talk a little bit about well, a lot about, hopefully, the actual games and how they de- how they incorporate those things. So you started playing war games, you told me, in the 80s. Is that correct? Right. So war games, if you remember the, the very old book, you know, the, the Illustrated Guide to War Games, where it breaks down, you know, the eight different versions of war gamers, I'm the specialist. And okay. even as far back as then, uh, playing war games was just an extension of my interest in airplanes. So it was – I'm the guy who's – Totally subject focused on one subject. Read books about okay. it, play games about it. Um, you know, grew up and, and did it for real. So um, my initial, I my both my grandfathers flew. I spent a lot of time growing up with my uh, grandfather who flew for the Marines. And so at a very early age, it's uh, you know Robert Conrad on TV doing Bob Bob Black Sheep. <laughs> They're showing yep. reruns of Battle yep. of Britain. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, one of the earliest books I can remember at least flipping through and looking at the pictures is uh, Douglas Bader's Fight for the Sky, which I still have over mm-hmm. my, my shoulder here on, on uh-huh. the shelf. So yeah. the Wargaming was an extension of that. Um, probably one of the earliest proper hex and counter war games I played was probably something from FASA. I think it was probably either uh Battlestar Galactica which in my mind mm-hmm. was just hey that's like aircraft carriers in space I'm pretty sure I found mm-hmm. that at a model shop when I was shopping for an airplane model okay and the interesting thing about that was because if you've ever seen that game before the counters are actually hex shaped counters so I recall that okay yeah so when you punched them out they weren't square they were hex shaped for so for a little while I thought that all war games had hex shaped counters and so then when I tried to like make my own counters, I had a very laborious process of cutting out a hex shape instead of a square shape. Hmm. Um, so a little a little while it wouldn't be too much later where again, you know, the the places I would shop for models would would often have war games on an adjacent shelf and then I'm like, okay, that it's kind of cool. I might I might wander off and and talk mom into driving me to an actual store which was full of war games. And so now we're talking the age of Air Force, um, yep. Avalon Hill, Air Force and Dauntless, yeah, uh-huh. yep. um, Flight Leader, Air Superiority, kind of, kind of that vintage. So I never, mm-hmm. I never quite. Air War was too early for me, and I'm mm-hmm. told that's a good thing. Uh, I've mm-hmm. about probably, it. <laughs> probably. Um, but uh, yeah, that was how I got into it. Probably the last one I bought before I went off to college and joined the Navy actually was ironically. Um, GMT's Hornet leader, and I say mm. that's ironic because I I wound up years later being in an F-18 squadron and living in Hanford, California, where they make the thing. <laughs> yeah, and where I think GMT is. It still is. Right. Yep. I've been to yeah, the warehouse. Yeah. Wow, that's hilarious. So, okay, so you went to college and uh, then you joined the Navy and you became uh, you were flying. So, so you're currently a pilot in the Navy. You were telling me you were the um, what, what's the what's the official name? So I was a naval flight officer because back then Mm -hmm. um, I had all the qualifications except vision. And Mm -hmm. if you if you met all the other qualifications, they made you were eligible to be a naval flight officer. So that's um, you know the the guy in the backseat of the F-14 or the F-18. I actually started Mm -hmm. off my first tour in S-3s, 
I fly ah, either okay. the, in either the back or the uh, you know players. That's of the Viking. Harpoon. That's right. Yeah, players of Harpoon. Yeah. I'm sure will are the only ones who yep. know the S3. <laughs> right. um, so either in the back or in the front right seat. I did one tour uh, doing that very brief stint being an instructor down in Pensacola, and then transitioned to F18s and did uh, oh gee uh, I, I basically was in uh, Lemoore, California for a decade. Bouncing around from various squadrons, uh, did three cruises, three cruises, yeah, three cruises in the F-18 as a backseater, and my last flight in the F-18 was in 2010. After that, I went to the Air Force's War College, uh, which is which is always fun being with a few Navy guys at the Air Force War College. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I did a year in Africa and then taught at Rutgers. My last hmm. four years in the Navy, I taught uh, wow. Sea Power Maritime Affairs, which mm-hmm. is a very Navy-centric history class and a uh, okay. class on leadership and management. And now hmm. I, I retired last year, uh, almost exactly a year ago, and now I help run a flight school in uh, Addison, Texas. I'm a uh, uh, commercial pilot and mm-hmm. been on uh, taking a check ride and getting my flight instructor rating. Excellent. So, uh, so you are. So you are eminently qualified to discuss all the minutiae that we are going to get into, <laughs> because uh, I have a lot of questions for you. Okay. Um, and I want to I want to start this out. I mean, we're going to talk about and 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 just to 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 sort of frame this conversation. A lot of the listeners are not going to have played any of these games, but I, I think that they'll find interesting us talking about how the games sort of do th- you know, represent flight, and so uh, we can. Even though we probably both know the answer to the question, we can still talk through it sure. so that people can get the idea. So let's 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 try to do that. Um, so when you, you you picked up these games, obviously before uh, you went to college and and you um, you were in the navy, what what was it about the games that kind of attracted you beforehand? And then did that change at all when? you actually got into a into an F-18 and thought, oh, okay, well, this is what's going on. Well, actually, I uh, because my grandfather um, had air, had airplanes, I actually was flying before uh, with him, obviously, you know, to, oh, to a certain okay. extent, before I even got right. those war games. So I had some ah, feel about, about flying. Okay. Um, I wound up getting my private license when the, mm-hmm. right after graduating high school. So even before mm-hmm. I joined the Navy, I, I was a private pilot. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, the... The interest is in was in the subject matter. You know, it's you especially at that younger age, probably, you know, late, you know, late elementary, junior high age, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You're surrounded by it, you got the books on it, you see it on TV, you want to do it. Well, obviously if you're, you know, eleven or twelve, you can't go do it. So the next closest thing is is getting the getting the game off the shelf. And of course, this is all pre simulator, although right. I have very strong thoughts on board games versus computer simulators oh, well, when it comes to air I can't combat. wait to talk about that. We'll <laughs> talk about that. Let's not give that away though. Spoiler. So here we go. Okay, so so you had so you had board games and you're playing them and it, so when you when you pull them out, you know, you were you thinking that there was uh, some uh, disconnect immediately, or did you appreciate what they were doing? Uh, you know, allowing you to fly because because one of the things that those that the games do is they actually allow you to fly multiple aircraft at once, right? Right, absolutely. That you Which, can't do. Right, and again, that we'll talk about that when we get to comparing those with uh, with computer games. But mm-hmm. really, it was about 
it's a war game. It's about fighting the aircraft, right? Um, mm -hmm. Not just right. not just flying them. So correct. You know, it's a it's a game, right? We're trying to mm -hmm. shoot the other guy down, and and there's right. there's a whole other conversation we can have about victory conditions and the problem with victory conditions in air games. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, that that was the big thing was the not just the flying of the aircraft, but the the fighting of them. You know, just like you just like you see on TV, Bob Bob Black Sheep right. or in the movies mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. So okay, so you have, you've been you you played you you you've flown with your with your grandfather. You obviously haven't shot anybody down in combat. Um, you you play a game, go to the navy, you come back. Um, by the way, did did they was was the navy using games like board games at that time? Did they have any kind of not, any, nothing like that? Not anywhere where I ever was. You'd occasionally okay. see an article about somebody doing something at the Naval War College, but mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of war gamers would mm -hmm. be very disappointed to participate in an actual Navy war game because mm -hmm. they are very – they are structured environments that have certain objectives that they have to hit, and it's very mm – -hmm. it, it basically follows a script. This is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen because we have to meet these training wickets. So I see. there, it, it's a scripted thing, very mm. much, and there's not a lot of free play. The the closest thing you ever get to free play is uh, training up in Fallon, Nevada, which is the Navy's. It's not exactly the same, but it's it's sort of like the Air Force's red flag in in Southern Nevada, and the Navy is mm -hmm. in Fallon in Northern Nevada, and you get into that's the closest you kind of ever get to a kind of a bigger free play thing where there's there's a lot of different stuff going on. But even those events, you know, you kind of do something and everybody stops, debriefs, and then resets for another uh, event. Certainly, I never I saw see. any any board game playing uh, okay. while I was in the Navy. Okay, so so tell me about the about a board game that you played that you thought what 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 game can we start off with that you you have um, some opinions on regarding how it relates to fighting and flying well i guess i could, I could start at the beginning the uh okay. um, the probably the first one i i got my hands on was air force by avalon mm -hmm. hill yeah um and you if, if anybody hasn't played it there's a lot of plotted movement of course yes okay i'm game i read the rules i'm, I'm doing the plotted movement but the you know the the play value especially as so many of us are or have done in the past being a solitaire gamer yes right you know the novelty of that wore off real fast mm -hmm. and the other thing that a lot of world war ii games and i didn't really appreciate this till later although i think some mm -hmm. of us feel this at the at sort of a visceral level when mm -hmm. we read about world war ii and i've read quite a bit about it you can see all the books behind me on the on yes the uh -huh. right. um is you know they're usually talking these are big fights with lots of airplanes but mm -hmm. most of the world war ii game systems can only handle you know, maybe a, a four versus four or, or you know, an eight versus eight is going to take all night and maybe a little longer. Right? right. But when we read about it, you know, we're talking British squadrons fly in, you know, 12 airplane squadrons, mm -hmm. a right. German staff will now German staff will be a little a little under because it'll only have probably eight or nine aircraft, but they'll put three of them together. You know, Air Force, U.S. Air Force squadrons are heading over to Germany in flights of or in squadrons of 16 that are splitting in two eight-plane formations. Um, so, you know, something like Air Force can, especially by yourself, you're, you can only handle right. like a 4v4. So right. I, I got some play out of that. I, I mean, I still own the copy, but probably the next thing I got, and the 
thing you were talking about uh, two episodes ago or uh, mm-hmm. your podcast. On Wild, on Wild Weasel, yeah. Mm-hmm. On Wild Weasel um, that I think a lot of people got their hands on in the mid-'80s was Flight Leader. Right, and that was a game that I think was designed for that. So that was Gary Morgan's game. Right. Right, and I think he designed – that came out of stuff he was doing for the Air Force, I think. Exactly. Uh, so here's the background yeah. on Flight Leader. Go for so it. Yeah. He, he and uh, two other pilots were – they were active duty Air Force officers. They were involved in fi- – they were fighter guys, and mm-hmm. they they got into a wargaming circle in the Air Force. And one of the things the Air Force was trying to do at the time was uh, install a uh, you know kind of a, a warrior ethos into um, – they, they, some of the Air Force leadership felt that their warrior ethos was kind of kind of flowing away. You know, there was a lot of, you know, the logistics and making sure the base is nice and all this other stuff. And they were kind of concerned right. that, that as a fighting force that was kind of going away, especially at this point now, Vietnam's over. So there's no active right. fighting going on in the Air Force. So, right. again, this is the late 70s, early 80s. You know, people who are interested in, in military things are playing war games because we're pre-computers and all that other stuff. So right. mm-hmm. they approach the Air Force leadership and like, hey, these there's some utility in these board games. We can use these to kind of teach stuff. And they came up with a bunch of them, and the two that got kind of selected to develop further, one of them eventually for a while it was called Check 6. Yes. And then it became once Avalon Hill got a hold of it right. and, and plussed it up quite a bit and did the, the board art and everything, it became mm-hmm. Flight Leader. The other one was originally called FIBA or Forward Edge of Battle Area. Mm-hmm. And that one developed and became eventually became TAC Air. TAC Air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. That, so, that, but that, yeah, that had a lot of, um, uh, I've got that one too, but that's a, there's a ton of uh, ground units, and it's a lot of air to ground. Right. Uh, you've got anti air. Yeah, yeah com- combined arms. Yeah, that's that. That's a yeah. That's that's an interesting game actually. Yeah. Um, and it's from the but, same folks. Interestingly, one of the games that they wanted to develop to show kind of a joint multiple forces air force working with navy, um, you know, navy working with army was a hypothetical invasion of the island of Grenada. But that was chosen. Mm-hmm. Not they didn't develop that one. <laughs> okay, so the one that actually, actually happened. happened. Yeah. All right. Right. Okay. So tell me about. Um, so the thing for for the listeners, um, you know, people like me who have never flown an aircraft. I've obviously flown. I've actually well, I've flown in. Everybody's flown in commercial jets. But I actually had a friend um, when I was um, in grade school, junior high, and high school who. Um, whose father was a private pilot, and uh, he took us up a m- number of times in, in their Cessna. And I thought, whoa, this is really freaky. Um, and uh, I would then mistakenly thought that a game like Air War, if you just had a whole bunch of stuff going on and little counters to show you their aspect and everything, that that would somehow be realistic. And I think a lot of gamers got that idea too. Um, some of those Air war games with especially the ones with modern jets. I mean, you could you could almost play a game with sabers because they had just had guns. But <laughs> once you got the once you got the modern jets and you had to you had separate counters for every missile that was on the board, and you had to keep you know radar lock, and it was just ridiculous. I mean, it, it probably um, you know it probably took more time to play one game than all of the jet encounters that ever happened from like 1980 to 1990. Right. <laughs> um, it, it just took forever. Um, and then my understanding was that flight leader. Uh, 
based on Gary Morgan's input, was a much, uh, much more streamlined sort of, uh, he was trying to get at certain things that I think that that's what they were trying to teach pilots certain things. And one of those things was the idea of energy management. Right. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about what, what happened in the, in the flight leader game and what, what you were thinking when you were, when you were playing that game, what, what was, what was ringing true to you and what, how did it kind of all fall into place or not? Well, again, when I started playing it, I didn't have any experience um, in, in a fighter aircraft or anything other than what I'd seen on TV. Um, it's definitely, like we talked about earlier, he's definitely – the designer was definitely taking the slant of moving more towards fighting the airplane than flying the airplane, which I think is, is entirely appropriate in uh, in an airboard game. It's um, – and it's uh, – for flight leader, I think the biggest problem is, and, and you can sort of see its lineage, um, you know, it has the exact same scale as the old Foxbat and Phantom game. Yes, that uh, Luzachi's game, yeah. Yeah, it's it's the exact same scale, so you can you can almost, and I have no firsthand knowledge of this, but I can I can almost draw a straight line between they were probably playing that and said, you know what, we can make a bunch of changes and and, and different things. It does what it was designed to do, you know, with high with you know, over 20 years of hindsight, it does it does what it was designed to do. When it was when it was designed to you know be for the Air Force in the the early 80s. So we're talking F4 Phantoms and F15s engaging MiG 21s and MiG 23s at the at the German border. And it's funny because I see so many you know now so many people did uh, scenarios for F86s and MiG 15s, and that's really not its forte it's as you say if you look at the combat tables it shows uh-huh. you what it's it was what the design intent was it rewards you for doing things that the air force would want you to do like having look up into a clear blue sky when you're targeting the enemy um mm-hmm. i think the biggest thing with it is especially with hindsight the sighting rules should mm-hmm. not be optional that's that's the core of the game is the the mm-hmm. sighting rules and, and who you can engage and maneuvering to stay in sight and staying in formation and all that mm-hmm. other stuff. That said, it suffers from the 30-second turn. There's two things co- that conspire against it. The 30-second turn is is too long. I think that in my mind, a, a tabletop air game, turning the airplane 180 degrees should be kind of a complete thought. You know, Like, okay, I'm going to turn around and, and do this or mm-hmm. something that would take about an equivalent time. Um, mm-hmm. so games like air war where, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to turn maybe 30 degrees and then the next turn I'll turn 30 more that that's too long, mm-hmm. but being able to kind of turn almost a complete circle in one turn, that's, that's too much. Um, you know, um, JD Webster with his air superiority and airstrike game, you know, mm-hmm. he went for, he cut it, he cut it in half and went for about 12 to 15 second turn which I think is a, probably a lot closer. And if you if you look even at this late date on Board Game Geek, you know mm-hmm. you have people trying to figure out how to take that thirty second uh, turn in Flight Leader and, and try and mm-hmm. chop it down some, but not right. down to like the, the that impulse thing that's more like Air War. So mm-hmm. it suffers from that. The other thing that it, Flight Leader suffers from is the planes are way too slick. They they just don't decelerate enough. You know they can you can hmm. routinely find yourself operating supersonic when in a turning fight like that, you're you're not going to be doing that. I almost hmm. now I've never play tested this oh, just on reflection many many moons since I I played it, but I almost think that if you took the uh, 
you know, on the on the little speed chart, they have a option for if the aircraft is loaded, where it's like double, mm-hmm. you know, you slow double your slowdown and half your speed up. Uh, I think right. if you treated all the planes like that, you'd be a lot closer to what a, a real fighter plane is doing because those airplanes are way too slick. They don't they don't slow down enough. And I almost wonder if another thing that would help it is if facing a hex would count, you know, as as one movement. But they're the the planes as they play out are way too slick, and you get these things where you can and and people have identified this. I'm certainly not the first to identify. You know, certain airplanes can you know turn a complete circle. And you can you know you can be behind, turn a complete circle, and then they turn a complete circle around you. And it, right, um, you, that's that's what's called the old Richthofen's war problem. I was which exactly is a, about yeah. to say that. Then you get into yeah. the Richthofen's war thing. Um, but but really, what it's designed to do, if you look at the combat tables, is you need to show up with an angular advantage, i.e., you want to be as close to the the enemy fighter's tail as you can. You want to be in formation. It rewards that. You want to have a little bit of look up. You want to be faster than them, um, and you want you want to have sight, and you don't want them to have sight. And if you do that, you're going to get a bunch of combat modifiers that hopefully is going to make that first attack lethal, and then you don't have to stay around and turn. Part Interesting. Of- so what they're what they're doing? So just to recap for everybody. So those are all things that as a as a pilot in the Air Force, you're taught you want to do these things. Right. And so then the game basically rewards you for all those things. Correct. And it's, so, so it's, it's a doctrinal design. It's a yes, it's very much a doctrinal design. If you go through the table, um, that that's exactly exactly what it does. All those things um, you're rewarded for. The part of the problem with jet games, jet air combat games, is you mm-hmm. you can kind of get it at two levels. You know, you have them coming towards each other, and you almost think of like two two strings tied at a knot in the end. Well. To fit on the board, and, and this is a problem in the 80s because the ranges they're they're thinking about um, shooting the weapons, you kind of need this big board where everybody starts really far apart, mm-hmm. and then you, you you kind of get tied up in this little knot at the end, and yeah. that's the exciting part for the gamer, right? Because they want to right. um, they want to have this turning fight like they see in the movie or they read about, and everybody's turned mm-hmm. real tight together. Well, the mm-hmm. problem is that scale wise, it's tough to fit that in. With the longer range stuff, right? Um, yeah, that's the thing that with the like uh, I remember playing Air War, and you know when you're playing because I I used to love the idea of the uh, you know it's kind of Soviet attack on the carrier battle group, right? But those F the F-14s they're they're designed, I mean they're designed to shoot these Phoenix missiles that are that are really to take out the attackers before you can really even see them, right? I mean you get a radar lock and then you shoot these, th- and so you basically have to have, be at like opposite ends of the table. Right. And then you're you're rolling a bunch of dice uh, against a, a, uh, an enemy, in which in in real life you probably don't even see. You just he's a, he's a, he's a radar contact, and you make sure you lock. And then you know the phoenixes. You send a whole bunch of phoenixes, and you've got like you know twenty four phoenixes in the air because you've got all these different you know F fourteens and all these different bandits. And then boom, 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 boom. And then at some point, you know, I mean, by the time you've resolved that, it's time for dinner and you're just like, I don't want to play this anymore. Um, <laughs> well, well, yeah, and, and you should you should be playing Harpoon for that. But but that that's the thing is that's what we all thought in the 80s. With hindsight, we find out a lot of different stuff. For First off, for all, a lot of these uh, missile combat air games then mm-hmm. and probably even still today, the shot ranges that the game designers put in are mm-hmm. way too long. And now actually really? that's one thing flight leader gets right. If you if you look at the shot ranges for the, the mm-hmm. radar missiles, mm-hmm. 
a lot shorter than when you would have read about in contemporary books. I, I mean, I still have some of the old ones in in my okay. bookshelf, but mm-hmm. you know, those back in the eighties, we could buy these books. They had them in those bookstores. You know, all these Soviet versus U.S. You, you've seen yeah the, the ones Jane's real, books. I've seen. Yeah, I had the, the, whole, the ones with the real nice books, graphics yeah. and all that. Sure. Stuff. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, they had shot ranges of you know forty miles and fifty miles and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's assuming you are you know almost supersonic at a target that's almost supersonic to you, and both of you are at forty thousand feet. Okay. <laughs> once once we get down in thicker and thicker air, uh-huh. um, you know, a sh- and I'm I'm looking at one of them now. I, a and again, this is all you know through ni- 1980s and the early 1990s. Mm-hmm. So I'm not giving okay. away anything that anybody doesn't know. Got it's, it. It's all physics, right? Something right. that you could shoot at 30 miles at 40,000 feet. Well, down at 10,000 feet, that's it's only like 15 miles. And if you read the accounts of Desert Storm, the the guys flying over there, the shot ranges, even if they shot a little beyond visual range, by the time the missile timed out because it's got it's got to fly out there, by the time the it impacted the the target, they were within visual range. And a lot of mm. things contribute to that. One, the, the the actual physical shot range is the very very short version. The way a missile air to air missile works is it mm-hmm. was just like a model rocket. It the model the rocket motor burns real real hot real fast and shoots mm-hmm. out, but that burn time is comparatively short, and then it's just coasting the rest of the way. So if you if you think about a model rocket, you know, whooshing off real quick and then yeah. kind of coasting. Well, a real air to air missile works like that. Well. The um the the longer it coasts, the less energy it has. So at the end, right. if you're shooting at extreme range, you can defeat that missile with a very fairly easy, gentle, benign turn. It just it just can't hack it. It's it's decelerating the whole time once the rocket motor burns out. Huh. So you want to get as close as you can to shoot that thing. And so what happens is, and that's that's what the guys in Desert Storm are doing. Other things that affect that is. You know who is who is this guy? Do am I clear? You know these are the real world world things that you don't see in in the games that we play in the A's. Mm-hmm. Am I clear mm-hmm. to shoot this guy? Is this guy a friendly? You know, um, I'm one person's telling me I'm clear to fire, but I'm not sure because I know there are other there are other friendly forces over there mm-hmm. um, sorting things out. That kind of thing. Who's going to shoot which guy? Collapses that that range down. So those all conspire to the actual shot ranges wound up being. Much closer than we were led to believe in the games and the literature of the '80s. That's interesting. So now let's. I want to back up one thing to the, the air-to-air missile, though. If if it if its rocket burns out and it's basically flying, you it's know, coasting. How, it's coasting. How does it? Uh, is I, I assume that how does the how does how does it aerodynamically turn then? Uh, well, is it is it is it just? I mean, is it the fins? I mean, how do you, how do you how do you how do you make it turn and and, and hit a hit a, a a moving target? Well, when it accelerates out, it's going to accelerate to some Mach number, you know, depending okay. on the depending on the muscle, Mach three, Mach five, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's it's slowing down, and again, it's just as it slows down and doesn't you know lose all the energy all at once. But yeah, just uh-huh. the airflow over the fins, the little fins right. move, mm-hmm. and newer missiles and interestingly you know, older missiles, the fins would kind of full deflect. And then uh-huh. go back center, and then fold up, you know, and they Got would it. bleed. They would bleed a lot of energy. So if you start uh. making gradual turns, those fins start moving, and every time they move, the the missile bleeds energy, and it's not going to get any more energy back. Aha! Uh-huh. Interesting. Once that motor yeah. burns out, and so if yeah. it's at, if you're at the extreme range of the weapon, then it's going to 
you know, it, it can take a very, very gentle, easy turn to defeat that weapon because it's it's coasting and slowing down every time the fins deflect. It's slowing down a little more. Yeah, I'm not. Oh, I don't think I'm aware of any games that that truly model that. Do you? No, because that again, that would you think Air War would be bad? Try modeling the uh, the coast out of a. <laughs> I, I think oh yeah. Kind of go right. do a straight line, uh, linear thing. The the really the way to model it is to, you know, put put a cap. You can either put you could put a doctrinal cap or some kind of thing where okay, this is the real in range. The the difference is, you know, the the range that you would see published in books in the eighties would be the theoretical max range of the weapon you know the absolute max range and what you do is you go you make anything at that range you know a, a, a probability kill about one percent or less that's mm -hmm. what you do is you you got to make the and that's you know a nice thing about flight leaders it does it talks about you know piece of k or probability of kill and mm -hmm. it does and it does all those things um you know, it tries to reward you for it. You want to be fast. Obviously, the more kinetic energy, the faster you are at launch time, the more kinetic energy you're imparting to the missile when it leaves. Mm -hmm. um, you want to have a look up into a clear blue sky. It gives you bonus points for that. The one thing Air War kind of kind of hedged on was you basically roll the dice and you get feedback on that missile launch immediately. There were some mm -hmm. advanced rules where it could fly out, but they got a little a little clunky. So that's where yep. the the concession was made to playability. Mm-hmm. So, so that that all um, that all still is abstracting like a whole bunch of stuff yes. into die rolls, and and you know there's a probability you, you basically have you put the, you put the planes in a certain position that you've determined has a certain probability of kill, and then you roll those dice, and and you're basically rewarding the pilot for doing all sorts of things to put himself in the same position that he would be instructed to uh, if he were, you know, pro completely properly trained. That's what you're talking about where, you, where you're saying you're learning to fight the aircraft rather than fly the aircraft, right? Right. And air, um, flight leader presumes, I think rightly so, and I think any board game that that's trying to simulate air combat should just sort of presume, okay, you're a competent aviator. You can fly the airplane. What we're interested in is fighting the airplane, and that's mm -hmm. now Flight Leader does have rules for, you know, they and we'll talk about another game later that that has a very mm -hmm. interesting take on pilot quality. But mm -hmm. they try and put a little bit of a cap. Inexperienced pilots are going to make level turns. You know, they're not going to mm -hmm. they're not going to make climbing or descending turns, which mm -hmm. can have certain advantages. They're going to kind of turn along the horizon in a sort Got of it. uncreative way. So they kind mm -hmm. of put a, a cap there, but they can. All this stuff gets us kind of what what they call the merge, where the where the airplanes kind of stop looking at each other on radar and they come together. Okay, now we're in a visual fight, mm -hmm. and at that point, the scale of flight leader and then the the turn scale gets to be a little problematic. Okay. Um, the other thing too is, in reality, um, there's a book actually that's been referenced, a, an author that was referenced to. On the podcast a little while ago, when you talked mm -hmm. to Lee Burmican Wood about his yeah. uh, his wing leader, yes, um, game, he talked about um, Mike Spick, who is a very yes. prolific air right. combat author, and he did a, mm -hmm. a book called uh, Oh gosh, now I'm gonna I'm gonna forget the name of it. It's around here somewhere, but he did one basically uh, on uh, I'll look it up here in a sec on situational awareness, mm -hmm. and um, it's. He, it's a very fascinating book. It's a, it's a thin volume. 
I highly encourage if you have any interest in air combat to pick it up. It was written in mm-hmm. the 80s, but it looks at World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, mm-hmm. okay. and it basically makes the point that you know the the number one driving thing in air combat is situational awareness. Whether it's yep. two guys in a biplane looking around, or you know situational awareness from AWACS and radar and all that other stuff as you come into the visual. So that's right. the driving force. And what happens with flight leader is. The, the number one th- determinant of who goes when is based on altitude and airspeed. Mm-hmm. And um, visual sighting or situational awareness is an optional rule and comes second to banana to that. And that that's a little bit of a problem that, that Flight Leader has too. Uh, I, I could envision a game – if I was going to sit down and play Flight Leader, I would – and mm. I have never play tested this. I would do two things. One, I would treat all the aircraft as loaded. So that mm-hmm. they, were, they were they were draggier, they slowed down more. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of these mm-hmm. combats. But if you again, if you look at the after action reports from the Gulf mm-hmm. War, they're maybe accelerating to just above the Mach, uh, or just above Mach one coming into the merge, and they're never mm-hmm. going to exceed Mach one when they're fighting. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Flight Leader, you can routinely, very quickly get above that. So I would I would make all the aircraft treat them as loaded. The other thing I would do is I would just say, hey, if you know, the flight leader had, if I recall, had little initiative counters, and I would yes, just say, hey, look, whoever doesn't, you know, pick us, pick your low side, and mm-hmm. whoever doesn't have not tally anybody, put that mm-hmm. counter down, and then pick somebody, you know, maybe the your inexperienced guy who has who's not in formation and doesn't have a tally anybody, put that counter down. And then you could take somebody who's maybe a average guy and doesn't have tally anybody, and you could put that counter whichever side you wanted at him. And then you kind of work your way up to your experienced guys with a tally. They could, and then you'd have them all lined up, and then that would be the sequence of play that you'd you'd work through. Okay. Um, so I want to ask you two questions. One is, are you familiar with a book by Robert Shaw called I think it's Fighter Combat Tactics? As a matter of fact, I have it right here on my shelf. Okay. Well, um, the it seems like the the number one thing that uh, well, <clears throat> there are a couple things. So, th- do, is that a is that a is that a a book that I should trust? I have a I bought absolutely. a copy about ten years. Okay. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he is a graduate of the United States Navy Fighter Weapons School, Top Gun mm-hmm. Award, all caps, and yeah. you will find no finer authority on um, air combat. Okay, so he he basically talks a lot about the the planes coming into the merge, uh, and and the sort of the way that they are in formation, and and there's a lot of stuff about situational awareness. But the thing I don't get, I think I get out of him is that this idea that there's this crazy turning dogfight that just goes on and on and on and on, that's kind of a myth, right? That you correct. They're 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 not that many passes, right? So he's he's basically he's talking about like I I just I haven't read it in in, in years, but I remember when I was reading it, he was talking about it's very specific about how you how you come into the merge and how you come out of the merge so that you can then you're, you're almost like it's almost like you're plotting what you're going to do a few steps ahead because by the time you're reacting to somebody, they're already gone, and if you make the wrong decision and the other person makes the wrong decision, then then the combat's basically over, because he went one way and you went the other way, and you guys are both Mach 1, by the time you sort of re-tally or you don't, I mean, then then the whole situation's changed and it's over. So, uh, go, ahead, go ahead and correct me on that now. Sort of, and just just for, for those who are taking notes at home, the Mike Spick book is the, the Ace Factor. Uh, by Mike Spick, you can get it in hard or soft copy, and mm-hmm. I, I highly recommend it. 
Um, two things uh, with Shaw. He very correctly, as a matter of fact, he, he starts, you know, building block, you know, one V one kind of thing mm-hmm. and then builds up to two, two versus two. But then at the mm-hmm. end of the book, he very correctly identifies that, Hey, in real world combat, a lot of times, it's not just you know it's not this this bubble of one versus one or two versus two and it, this mm-hmm. is especially true in you know your World War One World War Two mm-hmm. where you you know you may uh, you may see and there's uh, another book um, the Men Who Killed the Luftwaffe by Jay Stout he does okay. he makes a, he makes a great point of this he uses a World War Two example where you know it was a very experienced uh, I believe it's John C Mayer. He's finding a very experienced uh, Luftwaffe pilot. You know, they're kind of—it's kind of the classic. I saw him. He saw me. We start turning. We're going around and around. And all of a sudden, another uh, 109 comes in from, you know, the opposite direction and starts shooting him. Like, whoa, things just got interesting. Mm-hmm. When you a, a turning fight draws a crowd. Okay, mm. <laughs> two airplanes okay. turning draws a crowd. So. You don't want to be hanging out in a turning fight for very long, and, and Shaw makes the po- that point in his book. Um, going back to – so let's talk about – and I, I had the opportunity to do this, um, participate in this at, at the practice level in you know, Fallon or other exercises, you know, just like you see on TV with the, with the funny colored F5s lurking about. Um, mm-hmm. So a very – Typical engagement. Now, again, even these engagements are set up to – we've structured this where we want to emphasize certain training points as we go along. Mm-hmm. But they may start off with, um, say, you're, you're a flight of hornets. You're ingressing, say, as like a four-ship. You're part of a larger package, but we'll, we'll just keep a four-ship. And you might have two groups of bandits. Okay, we're going to split up. So now we've got two different two-versus-two encounters happening, we'll say, in, in azimuth, one happening in the north, one happening in the south. As the fighters come in from the east and the, and the bad guys are coming from the west. So we're locking those guys up on radar. We're trying to identify who are they. Are they, in fact, bad guys? Hopefully the, uh, the AWACS, be either, either the Navy one or the Air Force one, is letting us know. And if they are and, and they're coming hot to us, we'll be able to, to take a beyond visual range shot. And so we'll do that. And there are certain systems in the Hornet that let us simulate that in a training environment. Okay, great. So we will come to that merge, and the way they do it in real life is if an airplane is rocking his wings prior to getting to that merge, then he's pre- he's pretending that, okay, your beyond visual range shot killed me, and I'm, I'm just going to keep going, and you don't have to worry about me. I'm, I'm an actual – I'm playing dead. Okay. Um, if an airplane is – you know comes to merge, he's not rocking his wings, then he's like, hey, your missile didn't work, and, and we're in a fight. And because we're training, none of the missiles always work. Oh, by the way, and, and this this is you can read about this in various Osprey publications. Uh-huh. The Air Force in Desert Storm, about 25% of their uh, radar missiles uh, scored a kill, and about half of their heat seekers. So, hmm. know, one out of four beyond you know kind of your radar missiles and uh, about half of your IR missiles. So. Well, the IR missiles are being shot from a closer range, though, right? Correct. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's all, and we we could get in kind of the other stuff that's going on. So it's sure. definitely not unrealistic for there to be a certain number of guys at the merge. And mm-hmm. what you're doing, it, at least for the Navy guys, we are taught that, hey, we're going to expend as much energy as we can because we want these guys dead right now. We don't want this fight to go on very long because, again, mm-hmm. among other things, mm-hmm. we're going to draw a crowd. So we'll hit that merge with that guy, try and get our nose cranked around as fast as we can. And get a shot with him. We are not interested in, you know, Red Baron type swirling duel, um, right? To 
to to get this guy. We're trying to get our nose pointed at him, take a shot at him, um, get him get him gone, and continue on our merry way because we do not want to hang out. Now that's a that would be different if you were doing something like fleet defense, right? Because then you've got to hang around until they're dead. Well, it depends. One you know one of the things are what line of defense are you? Are you just trying to because we're fighters, we're way out. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to try and, you know, maybe knock down um, some of the bad guys and maybe we have, you know, the, don't forget those – those as the sur- surface ship captains would like to remind you, hey, I'm armed too. So, you know, mm-hmm. we're just trying to whittle them down some and, mm-hmm. and the, you know, the ones that get through, somebody else will deal with that. So that would be okay. very scenario dependent. Hmm, interesting. Okay. All right. Um, so – so then let's talk about again, let's, I, I let's, do want to I do want to emphasize all of the stuff I'm talking about is circa late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm out. I've been out for a while. So probably mm-hmm. much different ball ballgame um, details. Well, wise. that's I'm true. Just, but there's also not there are not a lot of games that are, are modeling, uh, you know, a lot of board games that are modeling, um, you know, to mid 2000s, you know, early. Uh, um early of uh, early this decade yeah, combat right yeah well and again yeah. it's part of it comes down to you know in the 80s we had it was a very believable scenario right that you know we've got the u.s and the soviets and it's very easy to come up with scenarios now you know what we're going to make a board game about fighting people you know fighting the chinese and it's going to be printed in china you know that board game it's very <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> right, the believability right, right. level uh goes uh, you know, it's 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 strange, credulous. It just it's tough, tougher and tougher to make. Um, and also, the people who can afford these fighter jets these days, by and large, are not interested in in fighting each other. At least not overtly in you know kind of a fighter jet versus fighter jet way. So you're really your last golden age for plausible you know fighter on fighter combat sort of ends in the uh, you know early 90s. So what? So wait. So step back. I didn't quite get that. So people are not interested in fighter versus fighter combat now because why? Well, I mean, I think they're still interested in it, but just the scenario where it could actually happen. You know, the plausibility of that. You what know, about in Korea? Well, that that wouldn't go on very long. <laughs> no, I see. I see. They would. The, they, the, the North Koreans would yeah, have. They a have problem. a very, a very, very small, um, not very capable. Uh, fighting force in, in any scenario you could come up with would uh, – again, the, the nice thing about the 80s was there were lots of different scenarios you could come up with, and it didn't just have to be the Soviets. It could be mm-hmm. the Libyans or the Syrians or the these right. guys or the that right. guys. Um, but you know now – and you know there was sort of a, a, a certain level of symmetry, although as we learned later, you know that, that symmetry might not have been everything we thought it was, whereas mm-hmm. now – the only people who could put up a credible air-to-air threat, the the scenario where that actually happens is it's a little tougher, and and things have have changed a lot, you know, with the uh, um, with the uh, new aircraft and new missiles and data link and everything else. Um, I, I think even to a greater degree now, that sort of combat would be influenced by even more outside factors. So now you're talking about really probably more like a harpoon type game mm-hmm. where you know this is just a tiny piece of, of other stuff going on again you're right you, those those guys and gals don't want to get tied up in a i'm looking across the circle at him type fight mm-hmm. where um you know whereas before that was maybe a little more plausible okay 
All right, so go, so you said you're going to talk about another game. Tell me about another game you 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 were going to uh, move on to. Oh gosh, what all did we? Uh, well, you had you had asked in your podcast. Yeah. Um. You know, hey, where whatever happened to Flight Leader? What's the logical successor to that? And I, I think right. what happened with air um, combat games is they they move from the from the the board to miniatures is, okay. is where it, where it's at now. And miniatures ah. for for your for your you know. There are, you know, there are, you know, tabletop board game, war game folks, and there are miniatures mm-hmm. folks, and there's some people yep. who do both, but miniatures mm-hmm. is a is a very different animal. Now, the good mm-hmm. thing with air games, though, is that uh, unlike a lot of other games, if you if you own, own a couple of air air war games, you kind of own mm-hmm. all of them because the pieces are just you know the airplane counters and the hexes. So, sure, you can, you can for uh, air war games, unlike some other games. A lot of these tabletop miniature games, they still use hexes. So hmm. you've got the hexes and the counters. You all you need is these rules, and and you can play them. Unlike say, you know, a tabletop World War II tactical game using miniatures where they're measuring things out in inches, you know, and there's no hexes to, to moderate movement. A lot of these games are, you know, they're using uh, hexes. So you you kind of have everything you need once you get the rules. I think the one probably the the logical successor to Flight Leader at this point is uh, a game called Check Your Six, and it comes in two okay. different flavors. Um, there's a World War II version, which was actually the first version, mm-hmm. and there's one called Check Your Six Jet Age. And I think um, the World War II version suffers from kind of the same thing that a lot of the World War II air combat games do, which is it can only handle so much. And, and for the folks who aren't familiar with it, it basically it breaks jets into a couple different categories, and jets uh, the speed is usually about you know as slow as one, as high as eight hexes. It makes a it puts a lot of constraints on you to kind of keep things on the board. One of the things it says is hey, and and this game came out um, in the two thousands. Yeah, it's, I'm looking at uh, the board game geek page here. It's two thousand and seven, looks like. Yeah, that sounds about right. And what it does is it makes a couple. It puts some constraints on you, it, and it has the virtue of looking back um, rather than trying to look forward like the, the 80s games did. So it uh, it says, hey, these are these are by and large going to be subsonic fights. Um, it puts some constraints on you where it has an interesting mechanic where it says, hey, it's going to happen in this airspace, and you can dive out of that airspace and basically be out of the fight. Um, so it says, hey, so that allows you to use a, a micro D6, which is very popular in – Miniatures um, air games to do altitude where they go. Hey, you don't have to, you don't have to have a die that goes all the way up to forty. We're just going to fight in this block of airspace, and if you dive out of it, you're out of the fight. So it, it hmm. puts a lot of constraints on it. It it says, hey, there's not going to be much, if any, um, any any kind of beyond visual range or pre-merge kills. So it it puts all those constraints on you, and it, it's sort of like uh, I think like a couple of the old World War One games. You basically get a table of maneuvers that you can let select based on your speed, and mm-hmm. depending on how you know how steep a turn you make, um, it'll, it'll slow you down. So you kind of have to keep track of altitude and airspeed, and that's about it. And so, for example, a lot of times you'll be moving at kind of speed four or speed five, and maybe make two hex faces. So maybe uh, you know about 120 degrees of of, of actual turn. And so that'll be that'll be a turn, and its turn sequence is driven by 
pilot skill. So okay. lower skilled pilots have to move and then higher skilled pilots move. It is sort of an I go, you go there. You're supposed to everybody kind of select simultaneously, but then lower skilled pilots reveal what they're going to do. And then higher skilled pilots can make some adjustments um, as you go along. And, and there's some other stuff there, but uh, it, it's, I would say the logical successor to flight leader. And if you're like, well, I don't want to paint up all those miniatures. Hey, you're in luck. It still uses hexes and you can use your whole flight miniature counters. And I, I think it works because of the way you, you do the movement. Um, it works a lot better as a jet game where you're going to have kind of smaller forces fighting each other. Again, the thing with fire jets is they're really expensive. So, um, you know, you'll have a lot more, a two versus two or a four versus four is a lot more realistic at that level than say it would be in world war two got it now i'm looking but the, you say i can use my my um own uh i can use my own game counters but i'm looking at some really beautiful oh my gosh some of these uh photos on board game geek i mean they've got you know, clouds <laughs> with the cotton and they've got looks like the little you know they, somebody's on fire and they got a little fire thing and they oh, oh yeah gosh, you, can, you can go all out the bad news is what they don't tell you is those didn't show up painted. You're going to have to paint them yourselves. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Um, uh, the, but yes. The other thing with it is um, – and this – now, this is just a me thing. Mm -hmm. the, the problem is the the scale is always too big. Um, the planes are actually the – the problem I have with the miniatures games that, that actually mm -hmm. have little miniatures – the miniature planes look great. But the wings are hanging out of the hexes that are supposed to be, right. you know, 100 yards, 100 yard hex, right. and the wings are hanging yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. For yeah, example, yeah. if if you took a half inch, your standard half inch war game counter, and uh -huh. say you're playing, um, you know, one of the fighting wings games, uh, JD's uh -huh. four two game, you got your half inch counter. If you made it to scale, that the airplane on it would be about. You know, a quarter inch by a quarter inch. You essentially put a little cross in the middle of that half inch counter, and that's uh -huh, what it right. would look like. And when you do it at that scale, yeah, because uh, I did that one time just to kind of see what it would look like. You have uh -huh. these tiny little crosses. You can't tell what plane kind of plane they are. And yeah. But one of the things that illuminates is you're amazed that anybody ever hit anybody. You know, because uh, you you uh -huh. you know in the game you could just like in real life. Hey, I'm going to shoot from 200 yards or 100 yards. And then when you see it at that scale, you're like, man, how'd they ever hit each other? Because they're mm, so yeah. small. Well, so then, so we were talking about, um, you know, what the successor to Flight Leader is. I guess, I mean, these um, these miniatures games look beautiful, but, I mean, something that looks exactly like reality is a flight simulator. And I remember when Falcon 4 came out, I bought myself the, you know, the, whatever, the HOTAS system, I had, you know, pedals, and I was trying to fly all this stuff like I was, you know, some kind of real pilot, whatever. But uh, but that was interesting. Um, and, you know, you really had to sort of try to learn how to fly a plane. Um, what do you think about that as, as, a, as a replacement for, uh, for actually doing this stuff on a game board? Uh, I'm against it. <laughs> okay. Why, why is that? Tell me about that. Um, the biggest thing, uh, and if, to be sure when they came out, I, I tried playing, um, you know, computer air games. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. like, Hey, that looks cool. Let me give that a shot. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. fun for a little bit, but the biggest two problems is one, you know, a lot of them have, all of them have some flavor of tell your wingman to go do this. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. What is he? What is he really doing? I mean, what does that mean? I would like a multi-page breakdown of when I hit the wingman attack key. What am I telling mm -hmm. him to do? So mm -hmm. that that level of coordination that happens among multiple aircraft essentially 
you know, you're, I mean, what, depending on the game you're playing, what does it do? You know, telling him to follow you or to cover me, you know, that some of them have like cover me. Okay. Well, what is, what are you doing? Right. Mm-hmm, you can't right. coordinate with your wingman, um, you know, playing a video game. And then there's the problem of looking through a soda straw, right? Yeah. Can, well that, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And, and, and trust me, flying a real fighter is the whole world. You're just, it's all, you know, you're looking all around, yeah. Um, and just, you know, and I know a lot of folks will be, well, well, you can toggle over the different views. It's it's just not the same. Sure. And the other thing, too, that the, the uh, probably the biggest thing I like or, or would prefer with a board game to a simulator is, is you can look under the hood and you can see the assumptions that the author makes and you mm-hmm. can see the design decisions they've made, mm-hmm. whether you agree, whether you don't. And there's just so much in the ones and zeros behind a, a computer game that. Mm-hmm. You just don't know what assumptions they're making, so you can't check that against the assumptions that you're making and see if they're, right. you know, where you're at. And that's that's why I really like uh, or, or would prefer a board game because I can I can see what the authors think and I can see the assumptions they've made. And oh, by the way, I don't agree with some of the assumptions. Eh, maybe I could tweak it a little bit here and there, which mm-hmm. I'm sure we have all done at one point on some game or another. Yep. Yeah. So, so you're saying now you can you can solve the first problem you're talking about. Well, your wingman is just to have a real wingman, right? I mean, there are games like Warbirds, right. uh, which I play in the back, you past, where you know yep. everybody's online, everybody's yep. got their own. You know, the they people I know that people were flying Falcon multiplayer, yep. doing you know they had their own squadrons and they'd fly and yada yada. This all stuff, yeah. I mean, it's fun stuff. I don't have time you, you for that could, anymore. And but if uh, you if you have the the time to invest in in a rig like that and get mm-hmm. online and you guys are doing mm-hmm. it together and the other thing too, I guess the the thing on your head where you kind of look around and it kind of looks yeah. around, all yep. that stuff, that's uh, that's beyond my skill level. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> I could right. be doing that. Um, okay. But again, even even if I have all that, I I don't always know the assumptions that the programmer has made about you know ranges and things and how they work and interact. Um, and even if I do have that figured out, I, I don't agree with one of my. I can't I can't make a change. So I kind of like. You know the simplicity of the board game and the paper, and I can see it, and I know what they're doing. I see kind of how the engine's working, and if I want to make some tweaks to it, I can. Okay, and and so um, you would, you would then you really can't yeah, get past that. For me, I can't get past that soda straw thing of yeah. Even with the little head look thing, um, mm-hmm. now who knows? Maybe in track IR, whatever near, it's called. Yeah, yeah. Maybe in the very near future, IR goggles where you're wearing them and you can look around. That that might change that. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I would say is that there are people who do who I I know you can't recreate like a bubble canopy, um, but there are people who build these rigs where they're actually in a canopy and they have multiple screens all around them and that right. kind of stuff. And yeah, it's I very get, interesting. Yeah, but yeah, beyond my beyond my skill level. <laughs> Got it. So so tell me so so you're. You're defending board games as uh, a viable way of looking at air combat. Sounds like. Yes, absolutely. And again, it's it's getting toward to the um, air combat as a team sport, and um, it's done in conjunction with one another. Um, and uh, I again, the the fighting of the airplane. I, I think I for again for my money, and, and clearly we've we've determined that my money can't buy that super high end rig that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But um, I I just I buy the experience of of the board game better. Okay. So now there were there we used to do um, when I was actually when I was in high school back when we didn't have any internet and uh, we had to communicate with other gamers by the post. Uh, 
a guy was a was an Air Force uh, like a game master, and we had you know like they were basically had like uh, four. I think actually I think we had a four on four. Yeah, and there were four guys on one side, four guys on the other side, and you had to send him your radio communication that was like who was going to, and then you would like make your move. You know, because it was plotted, right? So everybody was plotting right. their own move. And then you could tell them, be like, you know, break left, break left. Um, but then sometimes your radio communication would get garbled. And so he would just roll a die and decide, oh, they didn't get the thing on the radio. I mean, that's all, uh, you know, that that's all a very um, time-intensive and, and person-intensive. Uh, you have to have somebody that's willing to do that right. uh, way. Is is that is that a legitimate way of, of, of trying to, like— make these big because uh, i mean you could certainly do that over vassal or you could, i mean there's there's ways to do it now that we have instantaneous communication uh that that might be interesting um depending on how much that slowed down the pace of play though uh that that might might reduce the uh kind of the inter- just it's it really comes down to what kind of pace of play you're you're interested in and that might Got slow it. it down a little much mm-hmm. okay um but so for the shot if you're designing a, a, an air combat game, what what do you need to have? What's the thing like? If if you somebody says, "Hey, I just designed a, this is going to be the best air combat game. It's going to fix all the problems of all other air combat games. I this is now going to be the definitive one. Uh, we're going to get uh, get it published." What's the thing that you think has to be in there? Uh, otherwise, it's just not a game. A way to model situational awareness. Okay, so so you have to know, you know, who it, it's all. But then, see, the problem there is that. Even if you have a tally, like I haven't tallied that guy, you're acting. You know that there's a there's a, a bandit there, right? I mean, the right. problem is that that you have to somehow model not knowing that somebody's there until he shoots at you, um, right? But, and, you know, and part of that you could do with the initial setup, depending on the scenario. But mm-hmm. in some ways, you know that that is often mentioned as a problem with air games. But in in some ways, you know that is not as much of a problem as you might think you know you've got the top down view i can i can see everything if you mm-hmm. what you really need is a game that can um moderate your your actions because even in a fight you would know okay there's somebody behind me i can't see him but i know he's back over there and you know to a certain extent flight leader does that you know you if you start off the move and you you uh don't don't have the talent you you can't shoot that guy and Sort of what that models is. Okay, I know there's somebody over there, or I know there are guys over there. Once once the mm-hmm. fight start kind of starts to develop, I can't see him from where I'm I'm sitting, but I know right. I got I need to keep turning the plane because I know he's over there. Got um, it. So something that can kind of moderate that, and then um, that actually is going to lead us into the next game I'm going to talk about. Yeah. This is the this is the point where a lot of your uh, a lot of the listeners are going to jump off the ship and go, nope. Okay. He's gone too far. Great. They this. have life preservers. <laughs> okay, that's fine. They have. Okay, listeners, you're you're warned. Lifeboats are in the back. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, what life, you got, yeah, James? Yeah, yeah. Women and children first for lifeboats. <laughs> um, yeah. The game I played that I really enjoyed and I thought mm-hmm. had a lot of things going for it. Um, mm-hmm. And to be sure, there are definitely concessions to playability. But yeah. it's a miniatures game by a company called Two Fat Lardies uh, that are based out of England, and they do okay. uh, miniatures games. And again. I uh, I uh, I know Bruce, your love of well written rules, mm-hmm. and these don't qualify. <laughs> they they need they need they need a lot of work. There was a second edition again. I love I love those guys, but they'll be the first to tell you 
Um, you know, they haven't gone through the, the 10 or, or 12 layer uh, Avalon Hill editorial process. But the game they came up with is uh, – I'm going to describe it to you, and again, a lot of people are going to jump ship and they're going, what is he talking about? Uh-huh. It's, it's very, very simple. They're, they kind of make a lot of concessions to, to playability. There's six altitude levels. You, you okay. have a micro D6 next to your, your aircraft, or you can do a little – they have six uh, plane stands, or you could just put a little note or a little micro D6 next to your counter if you're doing hex encounter from another war game. Uh-huh. And so all you have to track – is altitude speed is there's some kind of baseline speed and you determine speed by rolling a d4 so it the game was originally designed to be spitfires versus 109s in a battle of britain type situation so the spitfire is uh has a base speed of seven and you can add a a d4 to that Uh and here's where things kind of get pretty interesting uh-huh. The sequence of play is determined by a card deck. You have to make the cards, but they show you, hey, make these cards. You can make fancy ones, or you can just write it on either side of an index card. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And what they did when they designed it is a lot of air combat enthusiasts uh, would be familiar with Milan's um, 10 rules for air fighting. Uh, uh-huh. Sailor Milan being the, one of the Battle of Britain era aces, and uh-huh. he came up with these these 10 rules of air fighting like – uh-huh. You know, um, you know, always attack out of the sun. You know, uh, he who holds altitude has the initiative, stay uh-huh. in formation, that kind of thing. And what they did was they they took a look at those twelve rules and tried to make a a game based on those twelve rules. Well, the solution they came to is you can move certain aircraft get to move more than once. So every other okay. air war game, you know, the planes all move, you know, it's kind of a 30 second move or a 15 second move or whatever. And then we all get to shoot and then we get to move the same. Every naval okay. war game is like this. In this one, if you're a, you know, a kind of a not very good pilot, you may get to move your airplane once. Whereas you're a top pilot with a wingman with an altitude uh, advantage, you may move your plane three times. And right now, the folks listening are going, good lord, what is he talking about? <laughs> uh-huh. um, and the only problem is is it plays exactly like the after-action reports from the era read. And so what they do is they allow multiple movements to simulate higher situational awareness. Okay. And it, it, it really plays – and I've, there's a uh, – you can go to a website called uh, spitfireperformance.com, and mm-hmm. it has – Tons and tons and tons of after-action reports from Spitfire pilots in World War II and mm-hmm. post-war and all – and um, and the accounts really read like, um, like this game plays, and it hmm. plays very fast. And the other thing, the most important thing I think is because it plays fast and you're, you only just kind of track altitude, you can do a squadron-on-squadron fight, and that really changes the dynamics. Because hmm. now instead of you know two or four planes turning and everybody's keeping track of each other, you start turning with somebody, and somebody's going to come from the other side of the board in a straight line and not have to change more than about 30 degrees of heading and, and bonk hmm. you on the head while somebody else has your attention. It really – a World War II fight with a big number of aircraft pretty quickly devolves down into a barroom brawl. It's not two uh-huh. boxers facing off in a ring. It's uh-huh. – uh, you know, like an old Burt Reynolds movie where, you know, they're throwing guys out the front window uh, 
type brawl, and this really does simulate that. Um, again, it gives you it gives uh, gives you bonuses for or, or allow allows for if you're in formation and you have altitude. Uh, there are combat bonuses for attacking out of the sun, and to hear me describe it. A lot of people are gritting their teeth going, you can move – one guy can move his airplane more than another. How does that work? But uh, when you actually uh-huh. play it, that one actually you feel the, the fly in the airplane because it plays fast. You're rolling the dice. And you're like, well, I, why can't I adjust the speed to what I want? Well, a lot of times you're you're flying around. Oops, I got a little too fast, and I'm going to blow uh-huh. past this guy, and that, and that happens in that. Or you're looking for the right opportunity, and one of the things it does is – you're encouraged to count cards and see where you're at in the deck, and that's a way of building situational awareness and going, okay, with the run of cards where they're at, I'm 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 at altitude, I'm in formation. If I play this right, I can get down there and 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 get on this guy and then scoot or scoot past. But the turn sequence is is on the card, so you may get in position and he may scoot away before your uh, opportunity to fire card comes up, or it may work out just right. So it it definitely introduces a high level of uncertainty that is much more realistic to to an actual combat experience versus the okay I'm going to plot this out and I'm going to wind up exactly at this hex and th- and this is all going to work out for me. Huh. So uh, w- you've been discussing this game, but we haven't actually said the said the name of the game. Although I think I know which game you're talking about. Yes, it's called Bag the Hun, and it's yeah, uh, bag, named, bag the Hun, named for a uh, a, mi- a manual from the Air Ministry that they gave to pilots mid-war on how to get the right deflection off and shoot a uh, BF, uh, a, I'm sorry, an FW-190. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and this is, I'm looking at the page, twofatlardies.co.uk. Right. Um, it looks like this is, uh, you can get a PDF copy for eight pounds. Yep. Or you can get a hard copy plus shipping uh, for 15 but it's actually going to cost me 23 pounds to have that shipped to the States. Um, yeah, you're probably better the, off just downloading the PDF. And, the and PDF, yeah. Oh, by for the way, it's, it's much yeah. easier. It's much cheaper to buy it now after Brexit. The, uh, the, the price went down precipitously. <laughs> really? Interesting. Well, the... Um, uh, the uh, the game also has some car- the cards. I guess you can download for free. There's these yep. um, basic cards, and then there's a bunch of looks like uh, I have some other choices in the uh, in the Bag the Hun series. There's Bag the Hun uh, Finest Hour. It's a campaign supplement. We got right, some that's Battle of Britain. Uh, Bag the Hun Scramble Special Edition. It takes Squash- their uh, what that one does is the uh, they have a, a kind of an in-house magazine that they publish twice a year, be it mm-hmm. published in quotation marks. It's, you get it via PDF, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that that scramble is a bunch of different articles written by folks, just like in the general. People would come up with scenarios mm-hmm. and stuff and put it in there. So that's just a a bundle of a bunch of them that were were printed. Got it. And there's Squadron Forward, which is, looks like a dynamic campaign. Uh, yes, thing here. and that one wow. is uh, that one's designed where. Um, the guy that designed it, that, that's also – I would recommend that if, if folks are interested in World War II air combat. That one's designed where you could use it with whatever set of rules you were playing. So if you wanted to use the Check Your Six World War II rules with mm-hmm. Squadron Forward, you could do that. Oh, interesting. So you could that's just a scenario generator. Though. That's very right. interesting. That's exactly well, what it's a scenario generator. You mentioned uh, cards, and we are talking about this game has cards. Have you played the card game Down in Flames? I did. As a matter of fact, I 
saw that in a store in the mid nineties. I was, I thought that, man, that looks great. And I got it. Mm-hmm. And I played a lot for a while. Mm-hmm. I even when I was teaching somewhere, did a, did an article for one of the C three eyes on mm-hmm. a specific oh, channel. Yeah. And then okay. one day somebody goes, well, you know, it's just a trick taking game. And I thought about it for a second. I go, man, that's right. And I never picked ah, it up again. <laughs> I never picked it up again. Because it does. But I know a lot of people yeah. who play it and yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it was just kind of – it was a fun thing for a little while. And then I uh, I was really into it for a short period because – and that was actually the first time I'd picked up a war game in a long, long time when I when mm-hmm. I saw that in a in a shop in San Diego and, mm-hmm. and played, played a bunch of it because, again, that was the quick setup subject I yep. like. Yeah, um, was was fun. And then one day I was like, you know, it's just a trick taking game. I, yeah. huh, I guess that's kind of right. And then. Yeah, uh, it's, well, it's 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 a, it. But it's but you said it. That doesn't that, uh, that is it, it is it is interesting. It does use the trick taking mechanic to model certain things about air combat. Yep. Um, and, you know, the things things work out in a certain way uh, that you might expect them to work based on the subject. I think, I think you it's know, a it's a very clever for, idea. It, it yes, I think is. it's. Yes, I think it's very clever. It's uh, it's been redone in a little ways that I don't yep. like, but that's a different. That's a different. Uh, that's a different podcast. So, so well, I'm I I have to say that after talking to you, I have a new spring in my step because I thought that you know my all my old um, all my old um, war games, the air combat war games, had just become sort of this you know these obsolete things like my typewriter. Um, but they're actually they actually can model interesting things about air combat and uh, and there's a game that actually does that better than any of them now um, according to you so that's an interesting thing I have to check it out I'll, I'll get the I'll get the PDF rules download them uh, and see how that goes but um, there's uh, and, and I there's will a, say as a yeah? disclaimer yeah and folks who play a lot of miniature rules are familiar with this some that you know. Sometimes there's a little interpretive dance required. Sometimes you kind of look at the rule and go, I'm not sure quite what he meant there, and they'll be the first to tell you, hey, if you're not sure, just come to the best conclusion you can and and go from there. So miniature rules quite often are a different animal from your you know, very – one dot three dot four dot five dot six dot eight Avalon Hill rules. So right, um, right. And, and I will mm-hmm. also say about Bag the Hunt, I think it works best. At the scale it was originally designed for, which is Battle of Britain, uh, about 350 mile an hour max airspeed aircraft, Spitfire versus 109. As you get later and later in the war and the speeds get higher and higher, I don't think it works quite as well. That okay. said, you can just go, hey, this 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 combat's happening at a lower altitude and just knock a little off the top end and mm-hmm. be totally realistic. But uh, – I think it, it works best at the Battle of Britain level, which is what it, exactly what it was designed for. So for jet games, though, I'm out of luck. Uh, for jet games, I would recommend giving a, giving a sniff of the Check Your Six Jet Age. Okay, and, and all right. And a look at that. And that actually right. is, is a little – that is a, a fairly tight rule book. Those guys put a lot of work into it. And oh, by the way, I will say this for the Check Your Six guys. They have a lot of scenario books that you can get, and some of them are – off the beaten path to include they uh-huh. have an entire book on uh pakistan versus india huh. they've got uh they've got a great one for uh world war ii again and you can use these you can use the scenarios because of the the flexibility of air games uh-huh. you, you could use it with a different set of rules they have one right. on um the hungarian air force in world war ii half of the book is fighting the 
USA, uh, U.S. Army, Air Force, and half the book is fighting the Soviets. I don't know too many uh, places where you can find a lot of stuff on the Hungarian Air Force in World huh. War II, but they have a lot of very interesting scenario book supplements. So even if even if you try the the rules out and you're like, eh, maybe, maybe I like this other set better. At worst case, you're going to have a bunch of scenarios you can use, and both the um, both the Check Your Six, uh, the World War II one, and the Jet Age one have lots of scenarios in the book. And interestingly, the Jet Age one, it's one of the few games I've ever seen where they have scenarios that mix jets and helicopters, um, and they have huh. stuff that happen, uh, you know, uh, Cubans in Angola and other interesting yeah, okay. scenarios where you're like, oh, I hadn't really ever thought of that. Yeah. So um, tell me about the the you had mentioned Lee Brumkin Wood. Do, do you do you have any thoughts on his? Well, we're getting a little out of the tactical. Um, but what what about uh, what about wing leader? But you, I mean, the, I thought that I thought the I just blew my mind when I got that game and I saw that the the um, the, the perspective was was not top down. Right, and and he, and as he cor- correctly credits. As soon as I saw it, uh, I I had that Mike Spick book, and I go, I know exactly where that came from. And of course, he'd be the he's the first guy to tell you like that's that's where I, uh, he got the idea. Um, oh yeah, and yeah, it. Uh, I'm I think I think his stuff is is brilliant, and the level of research that he puts into it is impeccable. And yeah. I enjoy just reading the designer notes from from his <laughs> yeah. games. And yeah. I, quite yeah. often, yeah. I I learn stuff. Um, I'm yeah. like, wow, that that's amazing, especially for the you know the historical notes and, and things. Um, but I mean, he, he correctly and, and smartly with his games kind of goes up a level from the games that, that we're talking about. So, right. um, if yeah, you raid that, level is a whole different thing. Yeah. Right. And, uh, so if you, if you want to scratch the tactical itch, um, that's, you know, that's a different game, but I, I think his, his games are, are brilliant. I can't, can't recommend them highly enough. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoy those. It's, it's, it, I, I, yeah, and you're right about the Giants. I learned so much just reading, you know, about the, the uh, in downtown, just reading all the stuff about the, uh, you know, the way all those weapons interacted and everything. I thought was right, was, or, was or just going to his uh, his website, a a detailed breakdown of how the radios worked in the Spitfires in the Battle of Britain, which yeah. I got a lot of Battle of Britain books on my bookshelf, uh-huh. and uh-huh. not very many of them are are doing that level of detail on how the radios are working, the tactical implications of that. Right, and you know he's doing a, 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 a '80s West Germany game now. I think. Well, actually, I think that one is. I think that's actually some other guys using his system. Oh, uh, okay, all right. Maybe it's Terry Seymour. Oh, whatever. Uh, it is I don't it, even um, think it's Terry. I think it's. I think it's some other guys using his system, and they are working on that. That um, that'll be that'll be interesting because that's one okay. of those places where <laughs> it sounds like you're you're hedging. Well, it's it's going to be very. Crowded. It should be if they do it right. It should be a very crowded airspace, and I'll be interested because again, unlike say downtown or wing leader, they're modeling something hypothetical. So I'll be interested in the assumptions they make and the uh, the places they um they they get their stuff and the the scenarios they come up with. It'd be it'd be very interesting. I think it's going to be just because that airspace would be so crowded and we're still kind of modeling it just like we were in the eighties kind of theoretically, although we, you know, we have different data sets now. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, Hey, more power to them. I'm encouraged. I will definitely, uh, check it out when it, when it comes out. Okay. Awesome. Well, James, thank you so much. This has been so enlightening. Um, I hope the list, I'm sure the listeners have thought so as well. Um, I, I don't know about all that. And and just so they know, (laughs) 
The entire reason we did this podcast because I was too lazy to write an email. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We were, you had written some stuff uh, to me after listening to Wild Weasel, and so I th- thought that would be great to talk about it, uh, this, and it was. So thanks so much for your time. Um, and listeners, just uh, we'll, we'll, have, we'll have links on the podcast so that you don't have to uh, frantically Google stuff. But uh, check your six and uh, bag the hunt sound like the, the ways to go, and we'll have links to everything else as well. Yeah, yeah and again, bag the hunt is definitely an acquired taste but i would encourage folks to read some after action reports on that spitfire performance site and then play the game and darn if it doesn't even though the mechanics are very interesting and the assumptions are if it doesn't play like a lot of those accounts read and you know worst case scenario you can you can have a good time with it without too much of an investment if you just use some of the counters from your existing game with the rules got it awesome well james Thank you so much, and uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very, very much for having me, and keep up the great work. Thank you.